I will say her and her friends, great dynamic. Not a single one of them argued over which boy was theirs. Yeah. And I was like, that, I always had that problem. People were like, you can't have this one. And I'm like, well, that's, it's not real. Yeah. Like you're never <laughs> going to meet them. So um, I think anybody can hypothetically have anybody. So. Yes. This is all made up in our brains yeah. and on pieces of paper when we play mash i don't yeah. think it's a problem in front of humans the other day yeah um hi i'm cat and i'm gabe and we're, and we're the, ghouls the ghouls next, next door. door talk about spooky, spooky stuff. stuff like puberty that's what we've been talking yeah. about for like two months <laughs> flashback to middle school me where i don't know how to do my hair yeah in sixth grade every day i wore my hair in a bun because mm. i was like I don't know what to do with this because it was just so yeah. curly and because uh, <laughs> I because a mix as well like a very thick curls and it takes a lot of time and attention that yeah people in my family just didn't know to do and so I ended up just not taking care of my hair for a very long time and it took until middle school when I had um, a family friend that lived with us who was mm-hmm. also latina and she would take care of my hair and it was like mm-hmm. oh my god look at i just have yeah. so much hair yeah mm-hmm. i just had bangs um which is sometimes a bad decision depending on who you ask yeah i had bangs too sometimes um, yeah. which is not always good for curly hair i didn't know how to wear makeup so i did this really fun thing where i put concealer because i was convinced that like 13 that I had bags under my eyes, which I probably did. I don't know. Um, and I just put concealer under my eyes, but put no other makeup on the rest of my face. Mm-hmm. And I thought that looked great. Yeah. I did a lot of like um, orange looking makeup and like mm-hmm. bright purple eyeshadow. And I was like, I got it. But that wasn't until like, it was entirely too late for someone to be doing something so stupid. Um, (laughs) In middle school, I had like no friends. So uh, people thought I was weird. And uh, and now here I am still weird, but people do like me now. So, yeah. same. Um, <laughs> at least you, you know, at least you like me yes, and like probably I three do. other people. At least. Yeah. Um, probably more. Um, we are finishing out our Monstrous Femme series, finally. Um, <laughs> it's been a long series. And then we're going to start some new things after the road to 200. And um, we are finishing it with an interesting film that we didn't originally plan to do, but. Mm-hmm it dropped and people were crazy about it and then I was like well I gotta see it because in the many Encanto uh, Facebook groups I'm in they were like wow this is a great film and it makes us feel similarly to Encanto and I was like what and then it was further confirmed because I was talking about Monstrous Femmes uh, with uh, a friend and uh, their 
child was re- like really loved turning red and yeah. they essentially told me like this is about a girl and she becomes a monster and she learns to love it and it's very matriarchal and i was like yeah oh my god it's made for our show so we added it to the list yeah this movie manages to be four kids and adults at the same time which i feel like many films don't manage to do without being like stupid like mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like where they'll just like put like adult jokes in it and they'll be like it's for adults too we're like no this is like you can relate to this because trauma and then you're like whoa yeah i can relate to this because trauma yeah. uh, but also like it was one of the first films i've really seen that shows puberty for people who are experiencing that specific type of puberty mm-hmm. in a way that like isn't like damning it or like making it like horrific in a way that's like upsetting I guess like yeah. it was like horrific in a way that's powerful mm-hmm. um like it's yeah. a necessary thing that like, it's gonna happen and so mm-hmm. you are you know coming to terms with it versus like oh this is horrific awful thing happens to your body um yeah. which is a nice ending note for a series that has otherwise been almost exactly that where it's yeah. just like isn't it horrific to to become a woman or like a femme and it was like yeah um this is like it can be horrific at times but it's also really fun <laughs> it all depends on like who you're spending your time with and how you're looking at yourself and your life mm-hmm. um and like may has the best friends they're yeah. amazing i love them and i love how unique each one of the kids are and that they're best friends and there's no real villain which is also i i love this like how we're getting to this place in media like it's like in children's films where there's not a villain like we're not villainizing a specific type of person it's just like situations are the villain (laughs) and we overcome obstacles together and that's how it is instead of there's like an evil stepmother or um like a witch or something that just like represents yeah a woman who's unmarried and old like <laughs> we're over yeah that no that's super real like uh children's media has really taken a turn in a very positive way to like recognize that good and evil is not one like this black and white thing it's like there are complex characters that exist and complex situations that exist that like extend past that and it's like yeah really positive to see yeah it's super good um so we're gonna be talking about turning red and uh, it's a very recent film i highly recommend you go and watch it if you haven't um it's on disney plus uh i'm sure you have a friend who has like a free subscription (laughs) or you could get one uh it's definitely worth it and while you're there also watching kondo (laughs) i think i think disney does like a free trial and you can just kind of like watch all of them in the first week yeah and there's also like their shorts are really great like Mm -hmm. i watched the short before i watched turning red um bow i figured yeah bow's really good we have to watch luca next yeah um Like, I need to pace out my children's movies that make me cry because I can only take so many. Um, But yeah, do you want to jump into it, Kat? Who's go first? Me. You go first. Yay. Throw me up there. Gabe. Yes. Um, So, like I said, we are talking about Turning Red, and this film is from 2022, brand new, and it is about a 13-year-old girl named Mei Lin turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited, and it's directed by Dom Hishi. Um, 
which is just right to the point. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. She becomes a red panda. Yeah. Uh, but it's also so much more than that. So I'm very excited to talk about this. Um, and I, if you have watched it, I really um, would love to hear from you and what your experiences are. Um, I've talked to young people who are like a little younger than this age that's occurring here um and i'm i'm very curious to hear like if this movie will affect how they experience puberty later like yeah. if it will be a beneficial thing um for them yeah and if they feel seen too mm-hmm. uh because i definitely did <laughs> i was like <laughs> and that's not like i mean i'm not the target demographic but i also feel very seen in it um so turning red follows may who is an ordinary preteen girl with amazing friends and a beautiful relationship with her mom um she is incredibly close to her mother and she spends uh her time outside of school working at the family business she is super obsessed with a boy band and she's just discovering that real boys can be pretty cute um and make really great mermen uh yeah very fun uh and this film brings us along may's journey of self-discovery and growth and as may begins her puberty process she also discovers an old hidden family secret she and the other women in her family were are wear red pandas yeah (laughs) they turn into red pandas when they feel too many emotions so in the imdb synopsis it said when she was too excited but it also like when she was angry it was just any emotion that was not regulated um quote unquote to like what is acceptable um she would turn into a giant red panda uh and at first, May is stressed by this change because there's like hair in unexpected places, uh, no control of our emotions. Our body is so foreign to us now. And our yeah. parents just couldn't possibly understand. Like, here we are again, <laughs> puberty world. Um, and you also may wonder, like, uh, since this is like a matriarchal thing, like it's all the female line of the family, like uh why may's mom didn't tell her about the red panda beforehand and we we asked that like every time like with with last week what blew my mind we were like if you know about mermaids why wouldn't you tell her um we had this we had something like that oh well yeah it just like if you know ahead of time and she clearly knows ahead of time because yeah um, was a it's like why wouldn't you prepare them yeah (laughs) but um they do mention like may's mother mentions uh that she thought they'd have more time yeah and that felt really real to me because i understood like how there's like a difference in how soon people are growing up (laughs) like because of like society and so like I like considering like people my age uh we tended to mature and go through puberty faster than our parents or at least like that was my experience and some other people I've talked to their experience where like I got my period when I was like 12 or 13 which is like what's happening in this film whereas like my mother got hers like you know later than that so like she has this kind of perception of like uh kids kind of grow bit too fast these days but also it's like sometimes you want to preserve their youth right like yeah you have like a a view of them as if they're still like a little kid so like you feel like you have more time and then suddenly they're a teenager yeah and it's that's pretty much what's happening like on the outside end of things right is like she is very clearly the mom um kind of wrestling with the fact that May is going to grow up. Like now she's noticing boys. She wrote all those things. And now she's like, oh no. So this is a typical coming of age monstrous femme story, but it's also so much more than that. 
which is what we found in a lot of these films, because May learns to appreciate her red panda. Um, with the help of her friends, she turns into she turns the panda into a positive experience. Uh, other kids love it and like get a kick out of how cute it is. Um, and just like also like May is very adorable and sweet and just like a really fun human. And people yeah. really about her and so she soon begins making bake using the red panda uh and selling red panda merch uh yeah. with the intent of using that money uh to go to a beloved concert of her favorite boys for town which is yeah. just a boy band um and it's super cute there's five of them i don't know why they're called for town the song is super cute it's like you don't turn no one turns my tummy quite like you it's so yeah. childish I will say her and her friends, great dynamic. Not a single one of them argued over which boy was theirs. Yeah. And I was like, that, I always had that problem. People were like, you can't have this one. And I'm like, what? that's, it's not real. Yeah. Like you're never <laughs> like, going to meet them. So um, I think anybody can hypothetically have anybody. So. Yes. This is all made up in our brains yeah. and on pieces of paper when we play mash i don't yeah. think it's a problem <laughs> also if it was real it'd be a problem because there's yeah, an age because they're adults. <laughs> um, so yeah. but i did think it was funny that they were yeah. like that's your you stand that one um that's how i feel about bts i yeah. change I mean, a boy every week best friends like i wish i had those friends i have those friends now but like i wish or i have that friend now you are that you are all four Friends. I, I you know change my personality however <laughs> it feels um I will say like her friends I appreciate how different they all are yeah um Abby is like my life energy <laughs> if you're watching that's who I'm dressed as because she's just like this little terror gremlin and I was like I feel so strongly about her every single time she's just like yeah get him um <laughs> she's like my mom said i can't listen to that music because it's stripper music and i said what's wrong with that <laughs> and i was like i love this little kid so much yeah. um and then there's uh priya priya is that her name um there's like the one who's really really quiet and she's yeah. like um she doesn't emote in ways that like we usually see but she's never ridiculed for that yeah like, she's the chill one she just gets to be that yeah. <laughs> you know and then you got like the cool yeah they all have their own little things they're super cute um and so important to have like these different girls that people can relate to um especially when you're growing up especially about a uh, in a film where you're gonna see like your experiences well yeah because there's like not one way to be a girl so it's like mm -hmm. cool to have many different perceptions of what that could look like yeah exactly um However, there's a problem in the film because the night of the concert, the beloved concert of Four Town, um, happens to fall on the same night of her ceremony. I forget what they called it in the film. Um, but essentially, to control her panda, her red panda, she needed to undergo the ceremony where she would separate from her red panda and contain it in a piece of jewelry. So yeah. all the women in her family have done this and it has to be on this like red moon. And it's this, uh, you only get one opportunity, one shot, one opportunity. You're going to get a Um And so she, it's, she's conflicted, right? Yeah. Uh, part of that is because she's not entirely sure she wants to give up her red panda like she's grown really attached to it um and 
she doesn't really see it as the monster that her family sees their pandas as yeah. uh, because she has with the, her friends in that relationship learned to really like coexist with it in a way that no one else had um which makes her situation unique but also it's like you gotta go see the boys it's like once in a lifetime opportunity <laughs> you know yeah um i probably did not go to a concert until i was like in high school though so but that's me because i wasn't allowed to go anywhere um <laughs> the very strict family uh so it, it gets to this question where it's like will may sacrifice her new red panda powers to become normal or will she learn to love her red panda and find the beauty in what makes us monstrous and that's what i really appreciate about this film um in some of the other films that we've covered in this series is like kind of taking back our monster <laughs> instead of yeah. um being made victim because of our monster uh and hating ourselves so um really really highly highly recommend i will say though that um as much love as this film has gotten um like i said fans of encanto are really excited <laughs> for this future of wholesome loving movies about family growth and representation but there's also been a bit of backlash from viewers that i want to address because i think it's like interesting um to hear some of the points there was like one that like the girls are growing up a little too fast from their point of view like oh they like boys and blah 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 and she sneaks out and yada yada it was like yeah yeah, yeah I mean <laughs> at that age I liked a different person every week yeah um to the point where like we had to make code names for them uh so I feel like it was pretty accurate I was like, like I love this person like this week and then now I love this person this week and my friends and I had a code so when because we had to write our journals in eighth grade English mm -hmm. and our teacher I didn't want them to know because they would be in the class so I was like I'm gonna give them a code name and that way we could talk about them in front of other people and no one would know like we thought we were so cool um <laughs> But yeah, it was like a different person each week. I was like, yeah, I, I, I moved a lot me. when I was younger. And I will say every time I moved, when I had to like get a new class, I was always like, I'm going to have like, I would go in with the intention of having one crush, at least. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have a crush. Who, who's, who's it? Who's going to be it? Which lucky boy or person in this class is going to be my crush this week? And then mine was know, like, someone was nice to me for two seconds. Yeah, and I was, I like, was like, in love. I was like, it's going to be you today. <laughs> I am. Um, we're both pansexual. So it was always like personality driven. Like someone was like really funny. Yeah. And I was like, wow, he seems really cute now when he wasn't before. Yeah. <laughs> happened all the time. Um, yeah. Anyway. So uh, one of the complaints I've seen was I don't see myself in this film. So there was a review by a white man explaining that he doesn't see himself in a movie like Turning Red. And he expressed distaste for the film for lacking in his experiences. And there's a lot to unpack in that idea, but I want to start by saying that I think it's okay for one of the millions of things out there to not be about a white man or the white person's experience at all. Just yeah. one out of the everything else. <laughs> Sorry. We get, we have to get one at least. Uh, been there, seen that. It makes me think of like uh, Jordan Peele when he said he doesn't see himself ever casting a white male lead in his films because he's already seen that movie. Yeah. And I agree. We've already seen that. We all have. Uh, it doesn't have to be about you, dude. And <laughs> it's like, let other people have a chance to tell their stories. We need to rotate the crops or else our land will rot. Yeah. 
that's all. Um, but <laughs> further than that, um, the other part of this is that this is a person that is simply out of practice. Uh, he has not had to work to identify with a piece of media before uh, because it was already made for him always and yeah. so as an incredibly mixed femme person I have had an entire lifetime of practice finding a connection with characters that do not look like me um, you learn to find other parts of their experience to bond over like I'm not Asian although I am Canadian. Um, and so I can't entirely relate to May's experience, but I can relate in ways that I've always done in media. Like I had similar experiences growing up and there are many other pieces to the story that I really relate to that I'll expand on later. Um, yeah. Like for some of us, we've had to just grasp anything that we can relate to because there's nothing out there that can really symbolize our experiences specifically. Like that's never going to happen unless I write it because for one, I'm very unique, but yeah. <laughs> like besides that, like uh, we just don't have those stories. It's just not out there. So like, you know, growing up there were no and continue to not be any Disney princesses for me. <laughs> I either had to be indigenous or Indian. Like yeah. that was my option. Uh, Cause they were brown enough that I, you know, I was like, oh, I could do that. Uh, but even my Latina heroes weren't quite for me. Like Selena Quintanilla is a Mexican American and I'm Puerto Rican American. So I couldn't identify, like I, I'm not Mexican, so I don't have that direct connection to her, but I could identify with her dual identity as a Latina American who doesn't fit into either identity entirely. Yeah. Like, you don't feel at home in Mexico, she doesn't feel home here. And it's like, I feel that. <laughs> the fact that yeah. she couldn't speak Spanish fluently, I was like, oh my God, we're the same person. Um, so my response to this man's outcry of lack of representation is simply figure it out. Yeah. Find what parts of you are in this piece and understand that there is no one singular story to tell. There's yeah. a multitude of them. And sometimes we just have to find the pieces that matter to us and so I tell them to like put on his media analysis glasses yeah. give it another shot and maybe you'll find things that you actually relate to or not even just may maybe you like uh relate to any of the other characters in there like her father or her mother or the other girls or the little boy like <laughs> there's so yeah. many people in that show that you could definitely Anyway, uh, the other uh, review, negative review that I want to address is about um, May's mother, Ming, and her grandmother, specifically, because um, there's been a lot of hate towards her um, for being too overbearing and controlling of her daughter and then her mother of her. Um, yeah. And there's also similar ritual towards Alma of Encanto. Yeah. And firstly, how many mothers are even alive in Disney to be criticized? <laughs> Like, yeah. let's give them some props for not having anime mom disease and dying off camera, first yeah. of all. Uh, but also, uh, these are women who are existing under some very extreme and traumatic societal pressures that those other Disney moms wouldn't understand, even yeah. if they were alive. Um, there were parts where Turning Red reminded me of Brave quite a bit. Um, I mean turn my mom to a bear like that like yeah <laughs> they're both bears anyway uh but the the exploration of that mother-daughter bond the pressures of young girls uh their experience to perform and uphold certain like traditional values that their mothers are like putting on their shoulders is present in both of these films um yeah. but it's like 
further exasperated because Ming and her mother have the added pressure of being like immigrants of like brave uh, Merida's mom is the queen <laughs> you yeah. know like sh there's no one who fits more into this environment than the queen um Ming and her mother are not that so there's just added stress of having to fit into a society that doesn't want them to um and so there's a lot of stress on them to conform into yeah perform this perfect person. And so that adds to that. Um, and, you know, they're, they're essentially outcasts in their own homes. And then Alma literally fled persecution and watched her husband murdered in front of her. Sorry for spoilers, but I think we could cut her some slack. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? She raised triplets on her own. Like, yeah. what are we doing? We're, how dare you? Every other Disney's mom is dead. <laughs> so um, all I want to say about that is just lay off. Leave these women alone. They yeah. are not the villain in the story. They are not Mother Gothel of Tangled. They are moms, human, flawed, and absolutely in love with their families. And I think that was beautiful. And so, like, knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just to kind of tie it up... Uh, with my review overall of the film is that there's a lot to be said about this truly fun and amazing film. And I loved it on so many levels. Um, I identified really strongly with May, like I said, specifically, specifically through her connection with her family, the very strong matriarchal line of women, <laughs> definitely have that in my family, her obsessions with boy bands, boys and attention. Um, and that like strong desire to do the best and needing to be told that you did the best and yeah um you know being the one who's doing good <laughs> like uh, being the golden child 100 that pressure was my entire existence like i had to be the one that did it i had yeah. to be the one who gets the grades and performs the best um and that has contributed to a lot of my anxiety now yeah <laughs> and why i overperform most things um so I, I super strongly relate to a lot of things that are happening in here because this is a film about learning to love yourself, but it's also about the emotional connection between a mother and daughter. And then it's also about um, the dual identity of this Asian Canadian girl who is being in, in, in like being mixed myself. I understood the stress of straddling those two realities um, of performing the role of daughter at home and someone else entirely in the world. And director yeah. John Hee-Chi said about the red panda specifically um, after visiting sanctuary, uh, they said they're native to China. You got it. Okay. Uh, they're native to China. And then also it's like red and white. It's like Chinese, but also the colors of the Canadian flag too. So it felt like the perfect animal to tell this story about the Chinese Canadian teenage girl. Um, and so much of this like film is Domhi's own experiences. Like she's not, she doesn't turn into a red panda as far as I know. Um, <laughs> but that it, whole tension between her and her mom the changing, like the fact that like red pandas are seen as like a good symbol, like all of those things are really built from her experiences. And even though it's like takes place in Toronto and it takes place at a time period for her, all of those things felt so relatable to me. Um, I was like, oh my God, this is about me. 
Um, and there are many pressures on children of families that feel the intense weight of societal expectations on them. And there's an experience here that is very unique to Asian Canadians and Asian Americans or other mixed race families that add to the story. May is seen as this golden child and she holds on her shoulders the weight of the future and the respect of the whole city that she lives in. Um, she must be the best version of herself and please her mother. And when she stops doing that, she becomes this red panda. And though this film is very much a puberty film, it's also about allowing ourselves to let go and to feel. Uh, like in Inside Out, our protagonist learns that it's okay to show all her emotions, that they are a piece of her, and do not make her any less worthy of love or praise. I really like the film, if you can't tell. Um, and I continue to like read things about it and hear about people. Um, and it just always surprises me when people have certain negative reviews where I'm like, that's nothing. You're saying nothing. <laughs> You're just like outing yourself as not understanding other people's experiences. Like I get it. Yeah. They're like, I'm trying to stay relevant desperately. <laughs> yeah. um, also just like really bold of like a white man to be like, I'm going to talk about this girl's puberty experience. Cause it doesn't relate to me. It was just like, what? Well, it's just like the people who like think reverse racism exists, right? Yeah. It's like the same people who got mad at Jordan Peele for saying he doesn't want to cast a white man are like, that's racist. It's like, that's, you don't know what that word means. Yeah. First of all. Um, and you're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> he's not saying no, like no one should ever make films. With yeah, like, just, he's not like he's not going to do that. It doesn't make any sense for him to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> People really be out here. <laughs> like, go back inside. Go back inside. It's okay. Just let the news <laughs> Not everyone's happen. red panda should come out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, kidding. Except your monster. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's like a pretty... I love that it was shaped around this like millennial experience in a lot of ways too, because millennials will are a lot of the first time generation to like break through generational curses or generational mm -hmm. like trauma um, and like make changing situations, uh, both in like accepting mental health, self-acceptance, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, yeah. So it was very real to have our main character, like it be framed in the nineties, I believe. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because it's just like one, it's like cool. Now all the '90s kids who are watching this along with the children will under like feel seen. But in like also, early 2000s, yeah, I mean, like middle school. Either way, I feel like yeah, the younger generations and we're still in there, mm -hmm. still in there. Yeah, maybe. definitely. Um, it was in our bracket of like yeah. we were all those kids who had a lot of pressure to perform and yeah. be the best. And Grades like, equaled love. What yeah. do you mean? <laughs> Everyone gets a trophy kind of thing too. Um, so it's like, so now we're always expecting trophies. It's a whole thing. If I'm not perfect all the time, I don't deserve love and failed. should be dead yeah. now. Um, <laughs> if I'm not working myself into the ground, I'm not working to, at all. Yeah, I've proven to everybody that I shouldn't have been born in the first place. I'm just confirming um, everything I've always thought. These are not things I should talk about in therapy. What? <laughs> But as Gates said, this is our last uh, Monsters Femme series, and as, an, as it is an unexpected addition in a lot of ways, it was really wonderful. Um, 
The horrors of this film were much more about the horrors of puberty and familial trauma than it was about a monster itself. In fact, actually, uh, for my section, I was like, I wonder if there's lore about red pandas. There's not really. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, red pandas aren't monstrous at all in Chinese mythology, nor do they have much of a mytho mythological backstory in the first because place. Because they're just real animals. Yeah, and that was done on purpose, uh, actually. So according to an article on Marie Claire, Symbolism in Turning Red Explained by Quincy Ligardi, uh, the writer-director Dalmi Shi told Insider that Pixar chose the Red Panda in part because Red Pandas don't have a deep mythological background. I think we wanted the space in the room to come up with a whole legend and mythology, uh, she told the outlet. Uh, the Red Panda being a relatively clean slate means that the themes of the film can stand on their own without other popular myths being added or conflated mm. with the story, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, they get to control it. Yeah, it's not like they have to like pull from something else. It's this unique thing that they get to totally make their own. Um, and they also said that they wanted the Red Panda cl to clearly represent like this magical puberty experience as well as like a transformation and that the Red Panda presented an opportunity with color as well to represent the period itself as well as like the more intense emotions of like anger, lust, embarrassment, um and the relation to the actual red pandas stemmed mostly from the fact that one, they were like really cute, but also like a character trait of red pandas is that they're very uh, dedicated and protective over their young. So that kind of correlates to Yeah. I didn't either until I read it. <laughs> in the Marie Claire article. And I mean, who knows? Maybe that's not real. I've never seen a red panda in real life, but uh, <laughs> according to the internet, that's what it said. So. Got it. Um, but yeah, so a lot of in a lot of ways, uh, my section instead will be oriented around like what I think the director was hoping people would take away from it, and less about like the monster itself, but more about like what the story was trying to tell us, mm -hmm. um, and about like that familial trauma can be generational, and that protection can become toxic if done without clear communication and trust, and as well as like dealing with intense emotional stress. Uh, is alleviated when you have strong loving relationships surrounding you mm -hmm. um so i won't talk about the horrors of puberty in this episode because we did that last week uh and in a lot of ways in previous iterations of the monsters from series so if you're interested go ahead and check those out mm -hmm. um but today i'm going to be talking about trauma yay, yay! Uh, it's actually one of my special interests so like this information mostly just lives in my brain and i also just pulled stuff from the internet so that you know i'm not full of crap um <laughs> So for those of you who know very little about trauma and its impact on the brain, I'll provide some introductory knowledge. Uh, trauma is unique to the individual, uh, and an event that may be traumatic to one person could just be like another day for someone else. It all mm -hmm. kind of relates to our sensitivities to various situations um, and ultimately connects to all other facets of our life. Um, for example, a parent may interpret a house fire as being horribly traumatic to themselves and then like put that on their child to think like they are experiencing the trauma traumatic event in the same exact way where the child could potentially be more traumatized by the loss of their dog that ran away from the fire instead of the fire itself. Mm. Um, so like everyone's kind of impacted by different events uniquely to who they are as a person. Um, 
most trauma honestly is purely subjective as an experience um, in that it's highly dependent upon the impact on the individual in the same way trauma can manifest in behaviors vastly differently depending on the person um, because every person has a different method of coping uh, Mm -hmm. as well as different protective factors uh, that I'll, I'll kind of explain that a little bit more later but like different things impact you different depending on like what security systems you have built up in your own body Mm -hmm. um as well as externally yeah like how prepared you are mm -hmm. and also like who's in your life so like a child who has a caring and attentive person or like a support system um in their life may handle a traumatic event better uh than a child who feels unseen and isolated Uh, and better is also subjective to the outsider viewing that child's experience as well as the person's experience like someone who is handling their trauma by repressing themselves and forcing themselves into a dissociated more convenient state of people pleasing and like becoming a shell of their true identity but sits still in class um maybe Mm. perceived by others as handling it better um or more conveniently than the child who like handles their emotions more outwardly uh, through aggressive or destructive behavior. Uh, But better is really more that the child or person feels safe enough to explore their emotions without threat or fear of abandonment. So Mm. as we saw in the film, it was like sad that when she had to lie to her mom to say like the, when I get upset, I think about the people who love me and, she was thinking of her friends. She had strong friendships that were like really powerful and meaningful to her um, that like acted as a support system. And she didn't have this fear that she would be abandoned for being herself and who she actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like very important when you're dealing with traumatic events. If you feel safe, your ability to get through those events, even if you're not handling it, like you still may have really strong emotional reactions, et cetera you have a stronger support system to support you through that event. You're going to come out the other side stronger a lot of the time Um, Mm -hmm. versus if like you don't really have any support systems, you're more likely to exhibit more destructive coping mechanisms, both to yourself and those around you, uh, but mostly to yourself. Um, So men said with understanding from their peers and caretakers in their life, they they have more protective factors is kind of what they're called. Um, these are things that kind of prevent the trauma from impacting the brain in a damaging way. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thought process extends to adults. And in many ways uh, we may feel that it's familiar to some of us uh, when thinking internally looking at ourselves of like how we react to situations, but also like looking at a lot of parents mm-hmm. um, specifically from the gen x and above generations uh who spent a lot of their time like not processing their emotions because they had to push them down um there were the i won't think the societal pressures were necessarily different but the conformity push maybe was yeah um so yeah it's it's really about like do you feel safe to be yourself who you are authentically with the people who you love and who are supposed to love you? Um, and that kind of impacts how trauma affects your brain and whether or not like it is as damaging versus not as damaging. Um, but as I said, like the impact of said experience often often also differs for each person. Um, and in many ways, existence itself is traumatic, uh, and especially when living in a capitalistic, oppressive society. 
Um, the results being that most adults are balls of unhealed trauma, uh, <laughs> covered in knots of repressed traumatic events and experiences that they've either never coped with or are still actively working through. Um, this is showcased beautifully in our film with May's mom and grandmother unintentionally just through like keeping their own feelings in creating this like cycle of traumatic experiences that may is tasked with untangling. Mm -hmm. um, and whether this is done intentionally or unintentionally, the impact is something that young people today are dealing with. Um, and is being reflected a lot in children's media. We're seeing this explored, like these family dynamics and finding new ways to cope with things. Um, and also just like, children helping their parents see the world in a different way mm -hmm. um that's being reflected in a lot of children's media specifically like disney pixar but like i'm sure there are others uh and that we saw in films like encanto turning red luca uh, and others um the research on trauma is ever evolving so a lot of this stuff i'm saying but it's very possible that uh the research on it could change because it's something that is more recently being explored in depth on its impact on like health outcomes mm -hmm. um as well as like the true impact of like what it does to our brains so the research is ever evolving um and when i originally inter was introduced to trauma research the bulk of this exploration was done through understanding the early childhood development and the impact of adverse childhood experiences or aces so for anyone who heard that is like what is that <laughs> the cdc describes aces as potentially traumatic events that occur in a child in childhood aces can include violence uh mental abuse growing up in a family with mental health or substance abuse problems toxic stress from aces can change the brain's development and affect how the body responds to stress so aces are linked to chronic health problems mental illness and substance misuse in adults however aces can be prevented and like healed from uh so something that is interesting about this is you can actually score yourself using the ACE framework uh, to figure out like what health outcomes may happen if you've experienced a certain amount of adverse childhood experiences. Hmm. Uh, but I strongly advise against doing that unless you're in a very <laughs> positive, healthy, healthy mindset at the time. <laughs> As a score itself can be very triggering when taken in without any tangible next steps to the or solutions to mm -hmm. the information just that you're knowing getting. and being like yeah, wow because it's sucks. like you could get all these really horrible health problems and you're just like not only was i traumatized greatly but now i'm also gonna die like <laughs> you know like it just activates something in you that's very stressful yeah so i don't recommend looking at it until you like recognize all the ways in which you are actively healing from that stuff. Because one thing that's really important to know is that when you're looking at this stuff, that there's the brain is like plastic and I'll explain that a little bit more. So what's important to know when you're exploring your own trauma is that neuroplasticity of your brain makes it possible to heal from your trauma. And while that is something that takes active work, it is possible. And also if you're interested in just learning more about this, I highly recommend checking out one of the more popular spoken explanations of this that Nadine Burke's Harris, Burke Harris speaks on in their Ted talk. It's a video generally shown in like intro trauma classes. Um, and was something that I was shown in my intro trauma class. Uh, but it really just, they do a great job instilling this like state of urgency within the listener, as well as just like explaining things in a way that makes sense. Yeah, like um, Ted's about to do. 
Yeah, exactly. So neuroplasticity is a fancy word to explain that the brain creates neural pathways, both from traumatic events, as well as through positive and constructive therapeutic healing experiences. So with that understanding, the ACEs can feel slightly less like a death sentence because you have next steps. You have like, instead of it being like, oh God, this is awful. Instead, it can be like, okay, now I recognize that this is actually really important and that Mm -hmm. I probably should actively work to fix these things so that I don't have all these like stress related health problems. Um, and yeah, it just gives you more of a reason to fight for yourself in your healing journey. It makes you feel way more validated being like, Hey, maybe I don't talk to that person anymore because they hurt me. Mentally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you feel like you have That's an authority good. to yeah. justify that because of the things that adverse childhood experiences can cause medically within yourself. Uh, you have more of like a foothold to stand on, uh, So for anyone who's like still in their survival stage of existence, uh, you likely won't start to recognize the impact of your experiences or like how they may have traumatized you until you reach a more stable or safe space. Uh, The fun thing about the brain is when it's in survival mode, you are literally just going day to day. So you can't even view things from the outside. Like Mm -hmm. you can't even look at the forest. You are in the trees. Yeah. You are, you are plowing through the trees the forest doesn't exist you're just trying to get out of the forest yeah um where when you're out of it you you start to see the trees more you start to like reflect and like have more of an understanding of what's happened to you um and that's ironically unfortunately uh one of the times where the more upsetting and symptoms of trauma rear their head Mm. um that's when is when things are like calmer and when you've left the active danger that you were on a under so once out of danger your body may have trouble adjusting and regulating your emotional responses to stress uh this can manifest in self-sabotage not trusting your instincts or intentions of others as well as your own intentions having big emotional reactions to things that used to feel like not a big deal um or seeking out experiences that feel familiar but are dangerous so like for example to speak to my own experience i used to do that all the time Uh, (laughs) i used to think that like I was the cause of every bad thing that ever happened. Um, and that's like how I, I, and I had a very long self-acceptance journey, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, so when I was younger, I handled this by like dissociating and like desperate people pleasing and like shrinking myself. But as I got older, like I started to handle in really toxic ways where I was, where I guess like arguably the first way was toxic, but it was like either through like really reckless decision-making or like irrational emotional reactions to situations that didn't call for them. Like the one time where like someone died and I was like, everything's fine. And then I got a flat tire and I was like, sell my car. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need the car anymore. The tire is ruined. So the whole car needs to go. Cause I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So like, yeah, things that like seem small before like escalate because you're out of the danger, but your body still feels like you're in danger still. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when you, you have a bad day and you take the piece of paper, like the paper towel and it rips mm-hmm. wrong and you're just like, oh, now I'm broken. <laughs> yeah. Like everything else you ended. understood. Yeah. Um, this is a slippery <laughs> slope into my mental decline. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so like I would not handle things. There was lots of like through my healing journey, like things I realized that I did that weren't 
good Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, before I started that. So like, I would also seek out like partners or friendships that subconsciously reminded me of those traumas and that they either exhibited erratic, toxic behaviors, struggled with alcoholism or drug addiction, or were like otherwise just neglectful and cruel to me um, because I wasn't able to save the people that I love from their inner demons. So I often sought out partners or friendships that had similar problems with the hopes that like I could finally be enough for someone to be get better for. Mm. And that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not real. Um, and not healthy. Ultimately it's definitely damaging and re-traumatizing experience for like everyone involved, including <laughs> me and that person. Um, so another big part of the healing journey also involves like viewing your reactions to your own traumatic experiences um, and viewing your actions and how they may have traumatized others, either through intentional or unintentional harm. So an unfortunate reality of being a traumatized person is that as we saw in the film, like you're likely to hurt people in your healing journey or Mm -hmm. before you realize you need to start a healing journey. Like there are things that you did when you were hurt that hurt other people. Um, So like while the intention behind your actions may have been like, I didn't mean to, but like it didn't really matter at the end of the day because you hurt somebody and your behavior hurt someone else. So what's important when unpacking all of this for yourself is recognizing all you can really do is take accountability for those actions um, and do better in the future. Apologizing is a piece of it, but apologizing with the goal of external forgiveness, like from the other person can be re-traumatizing for the person you've hurt in the first place, um, which will like make the situation worse. So an apology should only be given with the understanding that that person you're apologizing to may not forgive you for what you've done. And ultimately like they have, that's the right. And you kind of just got to be like, okay, I did a bad thing. You Mm -hmm. right. Uh, (laughs) I have to respect that. Um, So yeah, like external forgiveness is not something you can control. So you can only forgive yourself and like accept the consequences of that person not wanting to be in your life anymore. Um, So you're like, you're not entitled to another person's peace as much as they're not entitled to yours. Um, And like, yeah, all you can do is hope that like that changes, but understand and accept that if that never does, that just has to be fine. Um, It's also important not to project your trauma onto others. Uh, Something that like happens a lot uh, when you're like unpacking your own trauma and you like feel like you got to a really great place of regulating yourself. Um, You see other people's experiences and you're like, that was like my experience, maybe my advice and helping them recognize that that's what happened is helpful. It's not. Um, like approaching someone else with the intention to have them recognize their trauma can be more traumatizing than just letting them cope with their experiences authentically. Mm -hmm. Um, if someone is okay with how an experience took place, calling attention to how they should be reacting instead of how they are reacting, um, is you projecting your trauma onto somebody else, like forcing someone else to recognize the trauma is ultimately a selfish and centering thing to do. Um, because you're making your experience about validating your own experience instead of what is actually in their best interest. You're like, your experience is your experience, but now it's mine. Mm -hmm. So we're both going to talk about the fact that happened to me too. And now you're going to be upset too. Um, when like, if they were fine, just let them be fine. Um, and as someone who like feels like an alien, uh, all the time (laughs) and doesn't understand people sometimes, uh, I repeat this information to myself all the time. So like, I say this to you because this is my internal dialogue. Um, I'm like, I did a bad thing. I need to do, I need to just process this. I can only accept that like I've done a thing and they 
apologizing won't really help because ultimately that's a selfish thing to do unless they want me to say sorry which Mm -hmm. is like you do it once then you move on I don't know but I like I say this all to you because this is my internal dialogue for myself um and it also is backed by like scientific trauma research so like (laughs) you get a little bit of both Um, and ultimately like either way it like kind of ties back to just like navigating the world and figuring out what the world is and how to exist in it because it's like kind of a bad time (laughs) for most humans um so you kind of just kind of like do the best you can to exist in the less the least bad way possible bad being subjective as well um and yeah as i said previously it's important to have just like tangible next steps when exploring your own trauma and like if you are the first generation of a person actually dealing with and unpacking these traumatic things that have happened to you as like a generational thing mm-hmm. be kind to yourself and patient with yourself that like sometimes people are still plugged in and they might not get it yeah and that's kind of part of it too um and yeah and you just kind of like recognize like your piece is important just as much as anyone else's and there's lots of healing to be done um and i think it's yeah it's big traumatic event that a lot of people realize too as they're getting older it's like their parents are also just people yeah it's a big traumatic event yeah we're just like wow okay they're just like a person who's very flawed um just a regular people yeah (laughs) yeah made of chaos and sadness and like we just have their own stuff yeah Yeah, their own stuff they're working through and we got to give them a little credit for that too um but also like you know take care of yourself because if they're Uh not putting in work and they're only being harmful it's okay to leave it's okay to not yeah it's like a little bit of everything like obviously you got to do what's best for you but you also got to acknowledge when you do a bad thing so like you know it's like really Mm multi-tiered and ultimately at the end of the day you can only forgive yourself for it and try to do better and the world will make their decisions yeah well, it's like what in the, like in the the airplane when it's like you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help someone else. Yeah. So it's just like deal with your own stuff. You can't just be like helping everybody, right? Like, and it's because trauma is experienced differently for everyone. There's no one way to deal with it either. So you have to let people just figure that out themselves. Yeah. Um, like I was just talking to a friend of mine who was just like, it seems like people use the word trauma really loosely these days. Um, And so they're saying like anything is trauma, like anyone has PTSD, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, it's not that it's like all of a sudden everyone is traumatized all the time. It's just like, now we're talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) So like now we're allowed to attribute those things to people. um, Where before you weren't allowed to talk to that. But then I also had this whole conversation where I did explain like, it's interpreted differently for people. There are times where like, I have a friend who gets very anxious and like the world is ending a lot for things that I consider to be minimal because I've gone through other things where I'm just like, like you have that experience and you kind of build up this, uh, kind of protection for yourself because I've already been through those things so that seems little to me but that's big for them them, yeah (laughs) because that's like the biggest thing to them that they've experienced and it doesn't make it any like it doesn't minimize their experience um because I have a different interpretation of it so I think it's just like really important for people to understand that and I think the cyclical thing is super important too um because sometimes you just think like 
well, I got through it. So you should just also do it. Like we can't yeah. put that same expectation on other people and expect them to, to get through things in the same way and yeah. to cope with their traumas in the same way or their past in that way. And just like, accept people are all different. And that's something I yeah. struggle with all the time. Like I'm totally the kind of person that's just like, get over it. I got over it. <laughs> and then you I'm like, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get over it. Spoilers. Well, it's like um, a big thing, honestly. Like that's like a generational thing, but also I think just like a human thing where it's like, where you sacrificed a certain amount of things for your own sanity or to just exist and not be murdered, uh, mm-hmm. that you're like, when you see someone not have to do that, you're happy for them, but also you're like, what about my inner child that has been yeah. dying like this bitter. entire time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's definitely like, I understand why some people feel that way, but also I recognize the inverse where it's like, but also that's their whole world. They don't know. Yeah. And this and is also, a big yeah. deal for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just being patient and understanding with others. And I agree that this film is really about familial trauma. Um, And it was like, you know, passed down. Like you see Ming have a similar experience of wanting to be the golden child and to be what her mother wanted. She says that she used to be really close with her and something broke there because she couldn't be that anymore. Um, And it's like internalized like trauma and then like her mom's internalized trauma and then it's like external trauma as well like it's all this like this is like a mess um so that yeah. by the time it gets to Maylin, she's just like why <laughs> you know yeah. and it really does take I I agree that it's our generation that are like it's time to go to therapy and it's okay um yeah and there's something so beautiful about that too that like it's happening even if it's late you know what I mean for the the older generation that's like you they are some reaching healing just from the push of the younger generation being like hey it's okay to have feelings and like if you've been gay this whole time come out you know like not mm-hmm. every like not everyone yeah. has to just be a shell person we can be real people who yeah. don't think society should do this to people anymore you know what i mean mm-hmm. like if you've just been miserable your whole life. Like you don't have to do that. It's like the whole Plato's cave thing. Mm-hmm. You, it doesn't like, just cause it's always been that way. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to always be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. the whole time. And I mean, also one thing I recognize where it's like lots of people will try to like heal others as an attempt to heal their inner child. So also like you got to heal yourself too. That's like a really big thing. Cause like, even if you don't mean to, you're going to hurt people. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna happen. And something yeah. that I from personal experience is like there are lots of things I probably should have done differently in my life because I was very broken for a long time and I should not have been trying to help anybody else do anything. <laughs> should have been in therapy and doing my own stuff. Uh and now I recognize that and it's very positive and I'm doing yeah. that work. And, and then I, we wish, you know, therapy was more affordable, things like that. Yeah. So We'll yeah. figure it out. But I think just even <laughs> acknowledging that you need to work on things. So, yeah. um, but this was a really great film and it was a really fun series. Like I really enjoyed it. I love that we got to unpack Monstrous Femmes even further and in this very specific way and got to see the different um, 
just symbolism and experiences that women go through, femmes go through um, in their journeys of self-discovery and empowerment um, that take all different <laughs> forms uh, and, you know, how they're affected by society, how they're, you know, fighting back against society's expectations, all those things. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm, definitely excited for the next thing to do um if you have any thoughts comments about things that we've covered things that like in the future if we do another monstrous femme series and you would love to see that let us know um and you can do that by emailing us at the goals next door at gmail.com or commenting on our social media uh or leaving us a comment and a rate in a whatever on apple Podcasts. (laughs) um so make sure you're subscribed we have some really cool things coming up and our 200th episode is coming up it's so close Um, years million episodes yeah and so um don't get married your kids or your kids will heal you of all your sadness yeah or like you talk about it yeah your kids will show you that it's okay yeah to to just be a person whatever that means like a lot of times it's like older generations just didn't even know that was an option and so it just takes someone being like hey did you know you could just do this and they're like that's why (gasps) representation matters yes that's why (sighs) yes that man needs to shh because it doesn't always have to be made that's okay that's okay people can realize they're not aliens sooner yeah Um, yes yeah but you belong here um and your red panda is awesome all right Bye. bye